for the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 37, The Polar Express from 2004. I'm your conductor, Mike Manzi. Are you bald as well? And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us tonight to talk about this movie and to try to find something to say about this movie, someone who watches this movie religiously every year, which I want to find out all about that reasoning, we have Dan Hayden. Hello, Dan. Hey, guys. Nice to be here. Welcome back to the show. And man, oh man, like... Before we get started, I mean, I don't think this is not a bad movie. This is not, I wouldn't say, a good movie. It's certainly a way that I spent 100 minutes last night and today. Okay, so I guess before we get into Dan's yearly annual tradition with the Polar Express, Mike, please, in I'm sure one sentence or two, <laughs> explain what the Polar Express is about. I mean, I really probably could, where it's just Tom Hanks as a train conductor. But no, um, this movie, based on a popular children's book, a little kid in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve gets on a magical train called the Polar Express. This one is... Uh, run by Tom Hanks, who is the conductor. Tom Hanks is also a hobo on the top of the train. Tom Hanks is also the father of the son. Tom Hanks is also Santa Claus at the end. Lots of Tom's Hanks in this movie. Yes, yes, yes. So the kid gets on the train. He meets his bunch of other kids. They get to the North Pole. On the way there, it's sort of like a roller coaster ride. You gotta imagine this was presented in 3D at the time. They get to the North Pole. They get lost in the sort of like labyrinth of presents underneath Santa's workshop eventually being airlifted into the middle of the giant Christmas tree display presentation where they are then found by all the thousands of creepy elves that inhabit this horrific magical land as well as Tom Hanks and like maybe like 10 or 20 other kids that got chosen from all around the world to be Mm -hmm. here at this time. Santa shows up. It's a Christmas miracle. Everyone goes back home. The kid wakes up the next day with a completely renewed sense of Christmas spirit. The end. Yeah. I'm going to say right off the bat here, Mike, that I feel like for both this movie and when we did Cage Club, oh, so many years ago, when we did Christmas Carol, whatever the subs, what, what was the actual name of that? Nicholas Cage, Christmas Carol the movie. Yeah, that's it. Not to be confused with just any other Christmas Carol, but Christmas Carol the movie. I feel like we should have timed both, like we should have done this last fall or last December. You know what I mean? But like, I don't know. It just... It's very weird watching a Christmas movie like at the end of springtime. That's for It's sure. weird to watch a Christmas movie, a kid's Christmas movie at the end of springtime in quarantine i said to my friend that i was watching this movie he's like there's a non-zero chance that you're the only person on the planet right now watching (laughs) polar express i was like even though it's on netflix you're probably right like who's going to this at any time of the year that's not christmas but before we diverge any further i want to know from dan dan you said because i'm already almost out of things to say about this movie again not in a bad way i did not hate this it's just it's a thing that i saw but dan you said that you watch this movie every year without fail what is it about this movie that you either like or you find yourself attracted to? So I will say a few things. First of all, I picked this movie every so often when you guys come out with uh, your list of movies that you know, you're know you going to do podcasts about. I typically will pick movies either that I really like and occasionally I will look through and I will pick a movie that I think nobody will pick. So that is the first reason why I picked this movie. I picked this movie because I didn't think anybody else would want to have anything to do that's with it. That's a very good question. I'm going to look up and see if that's true, but go on. I'm curious. And the second has to do with my wife. A little pretext, my, my wife is not a huge movie person. She likes movies. She'll watch movies. She'll fall asleep during movies. You know, if she watches a good movie, she knows a good movie. But there's like a handful of movies that my wife truly loves and adores. This is my wife's Christmas movie. Okay. 
if, if anybody knows what that means, some people have like one Christmas movie that's like really, really special for them or particular holiday or time of the year where a movie just, you have to watch it. This is the movie that my wife has to watch every year around Christmas time. So now, obviously, it's become a movie that I watch every year around Christmas time with her. And The Night Before Christmas, the actual old fairy tale book, was kind of like my Christmas Eve story. But I remember my mom reading this book to me when I was a kid, along with the author. Um, the author has a couple of other really great books. He, uh, he did Jumanji uh, and Zathura. And I think I think actually it's the same author that did Zathura. But I, I remember reading this book a lot when I was a kid. So I like it. It's still the exact same moral to the story and comes to the same exact conclusion that the movie does. And for that, I, I really enjoy it. I think it's a fun, light, very short and to the point movie. So that's also just another reason why I've probably been able to tolerate watching it over, you know, 10 or 12 times in the last 10 years. And, uh, you know, it's like the little boy's character says in the movie. It's just like, I don't know if this movie is going to work out for you this year. But, you know, you might as well just sit down and watch it because, you know, it's Christmas time. And for that, I... I will say that I like this movie, even though I know deep in my heart it's not a particularly earth-shattering, brain-bending movie. It's just, you know, a cute movie about the spirit of Christmas, and it happens to be also kind of really cool looking. Okay. So I looked up while you were talking, and I appreciate the backstory there. I appreciate the context there. We sent this out to a whole bunch of people, and we, we got responses from just about 30 different friends, Mike. And so three people signed up for this movie. Dan was one of them. But here's the qualifier. Kara and Walt Hickey both signed up for this, but they both signed up for like 40 or 50 movies. Like they basically just checked everything. And like basically it could have been just like a select all submit. Like I think Walt said something like anything but Forrest Gump. And we're like, okay, like that's that's easy. But like this is not one that people were like, oh, I want to do Polar Express. It's more like, yeah, I'll talk about a movie on a podcast. That's not a problem. And so I think you, I think to your point, Dan, you are the only one who actively was like, I want to talk about the Polar Express as opposed to just like, sure, I'll do an eighth podcast or whatever. Well, my other thought process with this is that I thought some way, somehow, I would get my wife to maybe join in on the podcast or give me some two cents. She wanted absolutely nothing to do with this. Oh, okay. All right. Do not open until Christmas, right? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Another friend of mine who's in our fantasy baseball league, Take a Drink, who had expressed some interest in being on some of the podcasts, I think maybe this one, there's a couple around this time when we're scheduling, Mike, that he was interested in being in, but he and his wife just had a baby a couple months ago, and like he's in the same place where you are, Duke, where it's like, I have maybe an hour or two free a day. It's going to take a lot to like not have that just be me time, you know what I mean? So we truly appreciate you stopping by for what's probably going to be a 25 or 30 minute podcast, but like it's the same kind of like, I have a baby, I don't have a lot of free time. Do I really want to spend it talking about a Christmas movie in the middle of April or May or whatever? But we're happy that you're here. Well, just to say, I mean, we're six weeks into this quarantine. My baby was born on March 13th, not to give too much personal information, but so, so yeah, Friday the 13th. If it was a boy, would you have toyed with the idea of naming it Jason? Is there any chance you're... (laughs) Uh, We already had some boy names. Jason Hayden is a kind of like a nice internal assonance, consonance, whatever. Like just like yeah, a nice a good internal rhyme, rhyme to there. it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd want to like really lean into it, be like Jason Crystal Lake Hayden. <laughs> Hell yes. Love that. But she was born basically at the beginning of quarantine. Exactly. So when we came home, I had already been furloughed. And, you know, I have a lot of extra time on my hands. Actually, today is my final day of paternity leave. So I have had lots of time to bond with my daughter and take care of my wife and do things around the house. So, you know, sitting down doing a podcast with you guys wasn't that big of a stretch. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's very, that's very kind of you.
Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, as always. You know, this is always a good time. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, I couldn't think of anybody I'd rather talk about this movie than uh, than you, but... Yeah, I doubt there's anyone that I'm going to ever meet that's seen it that, as many times <laughs> as you have, so... <laughs> Again, want to stress, not a bad movie, just unless this is someone, like, unless I married someone who's like, oh, this is my favorite movie, it's going to be like, okay, on the list of Christmas movies, this is like... 40th, right? Like, even if you do one a day, it's not like you're going to get, I don't know, it's just, man, oh man. But okay, so Dan, maybe answer for yourself, maybe answer for your wife too. Do you have a favorite part in this movie? Does she have a favorite part in this movie? What about this movie do you think captures her imagination? Well, my wife is a classically trained singer, Okay, and that uh, I know her favorite part is the Steven Tyler song. No, my God. <laughs> no. Possibly the worst part. Not when Scolari sings. <laughs> Oh my god! But no, the uh, the Christmas comes to town song. She thinks that that's a really sweet song. Okay. So I know that that that's her favorite. I part. actually like the Polar Express song. I feel like it's drastically underused throughout the entire movie. But that's me. They play it once, I think, when they're going up like the Twisty Mountain. But I, I was surprised. I was surprised there were any musical moments in this movie because you know I like you. I mean, I guess like every kid in from the suburbs, like I was like read this in school as a child during the holidays, and yeah, I remember sort of seeing like a vague animated version of it once like during the early 90s or something but this is my first experience watching this movie and I feel like you know I've been avoiding movies based on reputation for too long like it happened with Lady Killers and I was like that's not bad as its reputation and this totally falls into the same category to me what you had heard you had heard things about this movie oh yeah 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 so like okay. uh, I remember when my brother took my niece and nephew to see this as kids and they got kind of scared watching it in the theaters and stuff like they were almost too young to be like a kids movie all the way wow but okay I also know just from like over the years sort of keeping up with like digital effects and things like this was uh sort of like notorious for being stuck in the uncanny valley yes and so I was not expecting it to sort of pull it off as well as it does I think part of it is I play a lot of video games and most of this to me just felt like an extremely long cutscene and Joey I remarked to you before the show my one comment was I was just waiting to sort of take control of this kid for a couple scenes and like make him move around on my own and do things and find the ticket and that kind of stuff but it's fine right like I could see this being someone's favorite Christmas movie it's it's Zemeckis so it's like totally safe and it's all about Christmas spirit and I mean maybe it goes a little too far being like too sweet and saccharine for some people me maybe it's out of control with like pushing digital effects and things overall it's it's totally fine like i was really surprised but i just finished it going like yeah it was all right i think the big criticism about this movie is the weird uncanny valley because it looks both good and bad again it's it's like how i feel about the movie like i can't tell if the effects for 2004 are like oh this is incredible or it's like oh this is terrifying it's almost it's not quite but it's kind of akin to like the first toy story which is 10 years, nine years before this, right? Where it's like, oh, this is really crude, but also at the same time, amazing. It's, yeah. it's it's a weird blend. Like, I don't know if I should be impressed or just like, oh, we should just tuck this away in a corner and not watch this again. My last thing about that was just like, for the most part, I didn't understand why it needed to be done like this. Like, I understand why Zemeckis needed to do Beowulf as this, this way. It's like very much the same sort. Or like Avatar with James Cameron. You get your people in your suits and you to turn them into something completely different. But this could have been done with makeup. This could have been done on green screen. Like, there was a way to do this live action that I think would have worked better, you know? And this just kind of, for a moment to me, just felt like, look at the processing power. You know, it just felt like showing off. And I was like really disengaged in those moments. 
well, yeah, like what's also weird about this is that they were using like adult mocap for the kids, and it's like, well, it, 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 they wanted like more, I guess, refined actors. Like Scolari is the kid; he's like the lost Billy kid or whatever. It's like that's insane to me. After that thing you do, this is the bosom buddies. Like this is the bosom buddies reunion. <laughs> <laughs> it was some very strange cast members in this, but yeah, the, the fact that they use the the adult mocap for for the children is it's a little strange. I mean, it, but but you're right. The movie kind of just feels like it was meant to be like a ride at universal theme park a good call and i actually think like the the kids look kind of the best or at least the main kid i get used to real quick and you know they probably put most of their effort behind him because he's on screen in almost every shot but like every time i'd sort of get used to hanks as one character he'd switch up and i'd i feel like i'd have to get used to him all over again and it did kind of feel like they were wearing sort of like these CGI masks instead of it actually being like skin or something like that. Yeah, there was sort of a almost like a doll-like side effect to some of the like face replacement, I guess, that was going on, which made it all look a little like less realistic than I think they were going for. Like I said, it's fine. Like it, they pull it off regardless as best they can. But yeah, I was just like, man, this could have been live action. I mean, like, it's it's weird in that they're going for something dreamlike, right? With the whole, literally the plot of the movie. Also, Hank's in basically every role and the way that they're using mocap. Like, they're going for this kind of not realistic, but also kind of realistic. And I don't know what they're going for, but it feels consistent in whatever they're going for, right? Like, it's like every decision they're making is kind of to a certain end. I just don't understand what that end exactly is. You know what would have been cool if it started off live action, he falls asleep and it turns CGI? Because like there's that one moment because I agree with you for the most part Joy like I, you know it's supposed to be like a dream and it is actually you know now now that you say that this is a good way to sort of represent that is it real or not and then we can like do wonky Willy Wonka things with like you know what they're going through later and you'll accept it the one thing that took me out though is like when they're in Santa's workshop and you see live action footage of children on the big screens and stuff I'm like well this doesn't track like this is what is this all of a sudden like that felt like sort of like an idea that maybe they had to play with that they just didn't flesh out enough or, you know, was abandoned, you know, down the line. But that could have been cool, like, to sort of, like, transition at some point between the two. Now, Dan, when you watch this movie, when you when you and your wife watch this movie, do you notice, like, the weirdness, or do you just, like, you just accept this for what it is at the base level? I think maybe a couple years ago, I really analyzed this movie a little bit more just because, I, at that point, I had seen it so many times. And there is a bunch of stuff in this movie that catches me off guard, and it, just a little odd and then today i actually did not watch the movie to prepare because like i said i've seen it so many times but i went and i looked at a bunch of like casting information and uh, i looked at a couple of bits of trivia and i learned even more that i i had never really known before but yeah the parts of this movie i really really like are the quiet moments where they kind of you know will take the time to study something like even like that first scene before the train even shows up and they're sitting in the boys room the hero boys room which i still don't understand why they didn't just give them a fucking yeah, hero boy and hero girl i was like i was trying to figure out if I like that, that any kid can see themselves in the characters, or if it's just weird that, like, to your point, give him a name. doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. But so that he's sitting in his room and he's, you know, he's thinking about, you know, trying to fall asleep and listening for Santa's sleigh bells. And he gets up, he looks at the newspaper clipping of the mall Santas being on strike 
and the picture of him at the uh, the department store, which apparently was the department store in the south side of Chicago, where the boy's house is supposed to be, which it also apparently coincidentally is also where the writer of the book grew up. So he's he's looking at that article and he's looking at the the issue of the post and he pulls out the encyclopedia with the world map and like I don't know those those quiet small moments where the movie isn't trying to be like crazy or grandiose or anything like that. I think that that's where the movie kind of catches that quiet. Christmas pacing because I like Christmas movies a lot I don't know why I do really like them though and I feel like that quietness to this movie sometimes kind of catches that feeling that oh this does feel like Christmas I think my favorite part of this movie in in terms of this part of the podcast was I like the end like when they're at the tree and I think the sort of the spectacle of it all because that kind of feels like Christmas too right like I like the Santa as kind of a rock star sort of that everybody wants to catch a glimpse of him or like as the pope or something like there's a kind of like a very religious almost Christ-like something about him which I think was interesting I also like the little details where like the trees of the very north pole and so each direction on the compass rose is south I think that was very clever and cute I like that part of it but I think whether it's the small quiet contemplative parts like you're saying Duke or like the big kind of spectacle of it all I think to anybody it could kind of feel like any of it could kind of feel like Christmas the things I really do like about this movie that probably I remember from the first time I watched this I was at a IMAX theater in the Palisades Mall which is no longer an IMAX theater it's some kind of like escape room thing for kids now I remember going on like Christmas Eve or or Christmas night with my brother and some of his friends. And I remember the moment where they're in the workshop and the alarm bells start going off and the elves are just like, oh yeah, some kid from New Jersey threw gum in his hair and the entire audience erupted in cheering. So I guess a lot of the people weren't from Nyack at the time, but right over the border in New Jersey. And something about that moment always makes me kind of smile. And I I don't know why they decided to pick. I think it's Maplewood, New Jersey. I didn't look that up in the trivia, but that always makes me laugh. It's funny because when we just recorded uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Cruz's character is from Cranberry, New Jersey. So he got lots of Jersey in the house. I mean, it's the same thing when we saw American Gangster in college and we saw it at the Palisades movie. And like, there's like, they had the lower third, it was like Bergen County, New Jersey, and we're like the four or five us whoever I went with was like, yeah, New Jersey. And the same thing, like on the plot against America, which on HBO, like whenever they ask the kid, they're like, how do you know how to do this? He's like, what do you think? I'm from Jersey. It's just like, there's like this weird perverse kind of pride <laughs> of like just hooliganism kind of. But it's like, yeah, that's us. That's that's who we are. I remember when I was on a date in high school to that movie Ransom where with um, Mel Gibson and he's driving for the money halfway through and he's down on, on Route 4 and the whole audience erupted because the movie theater <laughs> was on that same exact highway. <laughs> Mike, do you have a favorite part of this movie? Is there something about this that you really liked or even, dare I say, loved? You know, it's funny. I like I like what you guys are saying. Like, I think, like, the quiet moments are nice, but they're few and far between. I, I like when they're going down the slide. Like, that's the thing. Like, I like all the slide action and the roller coaster action and stuff, but I feel like that's lost now because that was designed to be seen in theaters in 3D. Like, this might just be, like, one of those types of movies in general where right. it's, like, you know, just, you know, loses something at home. See, I think I like the bigger moments more than the smaller moments moments maybe because there's more of them but i really like the like the roller coaster and then they go across the ice bridge even though that makes absolutely no sense because like why would the tracks be over water i don't know it's confusing but i don't care and it's just like lots of fun to watch so i don't know maybe all of those big zany super fun slide moments that are in the movie are a lot of fun nothing like really beats anything else out maybe maybe just like 
it's devotion to like spreading the Christmas cheer like that's pretty good too like it doubles and triples down on all that kind of stuff so you know it's it's not I can understand this movie like around the holidays uh, being a nice family watch for people or something I actually have a very important question in that regard so this movie the kid hero boy is starting to not believe in Santa right like that's why this all happens because his he's he hears his parents saying like oh you know he used to be awake now but maybe he's not excited because maybe he doesn't believe in Santa like it's whatever right and so then he gets taken away by Tom Hanks the conductor they go to the North Pole he sees Santa all that stuff he believes again at what point if you're that kid do you suddenly believe that Santa is real like it has to be when a magical train shows up three minutes into the movie right like because you're like oh I'm sold like <laughs> this train it was never here before I don't think you need to bring the North Pole like I think it's just a magical train appears it's like oh no i'm good i believe yeah i don't even need to get on <laughs> yeah yeah at what point do you realize that you know you've been on i got to imagine a train ride from the south side of chicago to the north pole it's gonna take several hours if not days yeah i know that the the time stands still i actually have a point about that that i want to bring up later bring it up now all right, this caught me off guard, and I remember just looking it up. I actually, since I own the movie, I went back into it just because I had it in the back of my head. There's a moment right when they pull into the North Pole where Tom Hanks is saying, oh, we made it with five minutes to spare, and he, like, sticks his head out the window, and he's, like, smiling, and then he starts, like, crying, <laughs> and he starts wiping his eyes and his face, and he takes his cap off, and he looks like absolutely mortified like oh my god it's fucking christmas again just kill me and he, and he puts the hat back on he gets back inside and they, they never mention it again it, i have no idea like it, it it seems so out of place and strange like why does he do that it's really weird he has that one conversation with hero kid where he's like when i was a little kid like i was on the polar express and it's like now i'm stuck on it for eternity picking up little kids over and over and over again it's like yeah what <laughs> what kind of curse is he living under what did he do to santa like to cross him to be like you know just eternity's conductor i don't know he's kind of the train man right from uh from matrix matrix revolutions he just he's like oh, i'm late and they just grumpy and like let's go come on come on come on speaking of train man i think i think i might have i think i have a definitive favorite thing about this now i think hobo hanks might be my favorite thing about this hobo hanks is a real weird hanks because like when he shows up i'm like oh that's clearly a ghost and then like it's a, it's played to be a reveal that he's a ghost it's like no he's a ghost like how do you not see that he's a ghost from the first time you see him like that about it i think more than its design and his performance is the idea that they think we're supposed to be sort of tricked by this character somehow <laughs> and i was just like uh-uh yeah well doesn't doesn't hero girl say like oh an angel maybe saved you when you almost fell off the train because hanks is telling or the conductor is telling a story about falling off the train like just like hero kid does and he's like oh maybe maybe it's maybe it's an angel i mean it's pretty clearly a ghost but maybe yeah it looks more like a ghost to me than an angel from what i've been you know told ever since i was a little littler kid than i am a theory I was very, very briefly reading at some point, not recently, like a long time ago, was that the hobo, it's like its like a metaphor for a Christmas carol, and the hobo is the ghost of Christmas past, and the conductor is the ghost of pre Christmas present, and Santa is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Okay. Which, like, I can kind of see. Maybe that's why he's crying. He's like, I only have five minutes to live. You know, it's weird, Duke. Like, I thought they were going to do more shit like that in this. It turned out to be more action-filled than I was expecting. You know, I thought there was just going to be more sort of, not darker moments, but maybe more lessons learned or maybe more 
moments or more points to be made about the lesson that he's trying to learn and stuff. But instead, it's just like a lot of um, not jump scares, but like for little kids, like, you know, exhilaration kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, they try to tie all the lessons together by, you know, Hank's taking his hole punch and doing all sorts of magic on tickets at the end. But yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like there was maybe for a book that's a thousand and some odd words that I really love and cherish. And, you know, obviously they want to stretch into an hour and a half movie. I feel like, again, the movie's fine. I just feel like they might have been able to punch a couple of extra things here and there that would maybe allude to some of the other, you know, just hallmarked, amazing Christmas movies that we have to, to maybe work with. I just feel like it wanted to be more timeless. Like, it almost felt like, at times, like a like a Norman Rockwell painting of Christmas here and there and stuff, you know? Like, especially the little poor kid, like, getting on the train at night and everything from a distance. Like, oof, that's kind of a striking image. So, yeah, I was surprised that it kind of didn't do more of that, but... So let's talk about the things that don't work. I think we've already talked about the Steven Tyler cameo, which is not good. We've talked about Uncanny Valley. We've talked about the kids not having names. Where are the parents at the end on Christmas morning? Because, like, they're in the beginning. Like, they exist. They're there. They're alive. And then at the end, when the kids are opening their presents, it's just the two of them. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, are you either, A, opening presents without... I mean, they show up at the end, right? Like, who's that from? Santa. But, like, they're opening all their presents without their parents in the room. And I feel like Christmas morning is also, to a certain extent... Like, I'm sure, Duke, when your daughter is going to have, like, be aware aware of, like, what the concept of Christmas is, like, it's going to mean more to you than it's going to mean to her for a couple of years, where it's like, I get to watch her open things. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know why they're not there more prevalent. Like, I get it's about the kid, but it's like, where are the parents? Yeah, it's a little odd that they're, you know, they're there in the beginning. And again, if you go by the fact that the narrator is also Tom Hanks, you know, technically Hero Boy turns out to be Tom Hanks. That, you know, so technically Tom Hanks is his own dad, which is kind of weird. Well, there's also a theory that, like, the conductor is, like, a ghost of his future self that has come back in time to, like, help his current self. Oh, shit. So he told the story. He was talking about himself as a little boy. And, oh, my God. I guess he's a little boy that grows up to be the dad who grows up to be the conductor. Well, if Mm. you remember, if you are looking carefully enough, and I'm sure you saw it on your trivia, Joey, there is a flux capacitor in the engineer's room. Yes, there is. Oh, Robert Zemeckis. I guess since he made Back to the Future, he's allowed to get away with that. Yeah, there's like 1955, I think the movie might take place then or something. Like, there's other Back to the Future references, because why not? Is it the train that Emmett L. Brown made in the end of Back to the Future 3? That would be interesting. (laughs) He sold it to Hanks as the Polar Express. He's like, I gotta get rid of this time machine. The other thing they do that's funny is the little boy grabs the horn and pulls on it and says, I've always wanted to do that. And doesn't Doc Br- Doc Brown does the same thing in Back to the Future Part 3. They should have just named a damn kid Marty. Come on. Is there anything else about the movie that you guys don't like that doesn't work for you? Is there anything, Duke, that your wife doesn't like that she's like, this is my Christmas movie, except I don't like blah? Oh, my wife cannot stand Steven Tyler. Okay, perfect. Yes, we talked about that. Wonderful. I think Good we taste. can all agree yes. on that. Like, when I saw his name in the credits, because I was looking on Letterboxd, and I was like, oh, Peter Clary, that's so cool. Bosom Buddies back together. And then, like, the next line down, I was like, Steven Tyler? Like, what? where does that? I'm like, this, it's got to be a different Steven Tyler. And then the, I'm like, oh, no, it's Steven Tyler. And he's like, credit as not rock elf, but basically rock elf. Like, any other thoughts about the movie? There's a couple quick bits of trivia that I have, but... I think I got two small things, maybe. I think I got a thing or two here. So, I, like I mentioned before, I was really bummed that this is the Bosom Buddy 
reunion that we're going to be getting because like there's no way to even tell it's Scolari, you know like at least like yeah tom's hanks is running around in different forms and things and so like i didn't even think he was going to be the kid but you know i guess he turned out to be the kid too that's messed up so like that was really weird and then the other thing was uh there's a some stuff with like puppets, the uh, the marionette sequence. I wish oh, went on a lot. Uh, yeah, very but I kind of wish that went on a lot longer. We needed puppet Hanks <laughs> to keep going. When we first saw that, I thought that it was Hanks voicing the puppets, which I guess it kind of is, but he's just voicing the marionette, like the, the puppeteer. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wait, are these like are these coming to life? And it's like, no. But it would have been like if this movie got weirder. Maybe it's not rated G, but like if it got weirder, I would be like more on board. But it's it's not. That's the thing, right? Like, it, it wants to get weirder, but it can't because it's, like, for little kids and stuff. And so, like, there are these moments that are, like, super disturbing or eerie to, like, you know, maybe an adult or something. Like, when they get to the North Pole and it's quiet and they, like, you know, get lost and all and start shrinking, I'm like, this is very surreal and bizarre and kind of dreamlike and scary and it's hitting all those kind of like strange buttons and stuff but I, it can't go any further you know and I really want it to start like becoming a fever dream or something like that and so like it's really sort of bound I guess by what it is you know and um, I can kind of feel Zemeckis going like oh, man I really wish we could just like push this a little further than we can but the only other thing that bothered me about this movie and it bothers me every time I see it Billy they're, they're walking through the workshop and like you know all the presents are wrapped everything's ready to go and like just because the billy kid is having a really rough night and decides to go to the north pole like was billy not going to get a christmas present if he didn't go to the north pole everything is done there's no elves left they're all down downtown waiting for the you know the launching party so to speak and like while they're there that last present leaves the workshop it always bothered me. Like, why were they waiting so long to get Billy's last present? Like, did, did they have cameras on the train and see that, oh, man, we always forget this kid. We always constantly crap on this kid. I guess this year we'll send him home with a gift. Yeah, that's a that's a good mystery there. <laughs> I I don't know, but uh, you know, if I had to wager a guess, I would say yeah, it it was the kid's fault, not anyone else's, <laughs> not his parents who you know maybe were out of work or something or, or you know because he he lived on the poor side of town, right? Like clearly, and at first I thought he had like a bad arm or something, but I guess he he was fine. Yeah, Duke, I think it, it was just like you know he decided to take initiative with his life and get on that train. I can tell you that I've got no answers. I do not know damn it i thought you would have some okay so this is the first film or this is listed this movie is listed in the guinness book of world records as the quote first all digital capture film where all acted parts were done in digital capture which i was then looking on box office mojo to see how well this movie did and i was like it did 313 million dollars worldwide i was like oh that's actually pretty good you know did 187 domestic 126 worldwide it's like i wonder what this movie cost budget of 165 million dollars which seems insane for this but i guess it's all brand new technology right like they're inventing a new way to do things paving the way not to mention how much they had to pay steven tyler to come on and sing he's the only one they didn't need to convert into cgi (laughs) what's also interesting (laughs) is that this from every year from 2005 until 2018 they re-released it to imax 
for like a week or two in December. In 2005, they put it out for a month. 2006, they put it out for two months. 2007, they put it out for two months. And I think a week for each of the next like dozen years or so. And pretty much just domestic. In 2010, for some reason, they put it out in eight markets. But this does seem one that like, if you wanted to see it on the big screen, it seems like you could have. Not last year, for whatever reason. And then obviously not now because theaters are closed. But uh, and also it's not Christmas time. So there's that. There's another another element of that there. Do you guys, do you think that they that they patch it every year too? That they upgrade the effects and stuff? Or they pull like a, a real cat situation? Well, I've heard that they've done that with other movies too, like former X-Men movies and stuff like a week or two out they'll like send a patch and like i feel like you wouldn't do that because i think that if you're going to see the polar express in theaters and you saw it differently you'd be like what is this like this is not my polar express yeah i hear you yeah even if it's better right because it's like a real sort of george lucas situation it's like i don't want it to look better i want it to look like it looks <laughs> yeah yeah just like you know hobo hanks shot first <laughs> hobo with a with a shotgun <laughs> hobo with a shotgun uh the film used 3d motion capture techniques to digitally record the actor's physical performances before quote skinning them with their animated forms the children's roles were acted by adults using oversized props to get the movement right who boy do you think uh hanks got paid like for multiple roles or did they just pay him like i don't know <laughs> I hope he got a lot of money. And I will tell you that this is now the third time Hanks and Zemeckis have teamed up. The first one was, which again is just like, that was a movie, Forrest Gump, first Zemeckis-Hanks team up. And also, the one of the absolute best Hanks movies that you and I were both pleasantly surprised by, because we just didn't expect much in retrospect, Castaway. So we did Forrest Gump, Castaway, Polar Express, which is a very, very weird trilogy. Super weird. Is it all the same score writer as well, Alvin Silvestri? I will look that up. Let me take a look. Because I know he does almost all of, or a very large amount of Zemeckis movies. So Forrest Gump, composer Alan Silvestri. Castaway, composer Alan Silvestri. Polar Express, Mm -hmm. composer Alan Silvestri. Okay. You are right. You are correct. He also did, fun fact, Infinity War, Endgame, The First Avengers, Back to the Future, Captain America, The First Avenger, Ready Player One, Back to the Future 2. I know this sounds like it's wildly out of order if I'm going in terms of letterbox popularity. Back to the Future 3, Predator, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Parent Trap, Night of the Museum, Flight, Contact, Stuart Little. Like, this guy has done Ooh, he works. a wide variety of movies. Yeah. All right. First question. Mm-hmm. Unless either of you have any notes, any other thoughts? Any other thoughts about the Polar Express? Eddie Deason should play a know-it-all kid in every movie. It was so weird to hear his, like, I can't believe they went with him. Like, he's known from, like, Greece and stuff, you know? But, like, I thought they would get, like, Jaleel White or somebody, you know? Like, a modern geeky voice. Like, oh, that was jarring. <laughs> I always think of him as Mandark from Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, okay. So, very important question. Do you think Tom Cruise could play the eight or ten different Hanks roles in this movie? Or, if not, is there a particular (laughs) character that you would like to see him? I cannot for the life of me. The Cruise Christmas movie is Eyes Wide Shut. Like, that could not be more different from this movie than any other movie that's ever been made. Like, I don't see Cruise anywhere near this. Even with the daughter, he'd be like, no, like, you're, you're not going to watch this movie. Like, I, I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I can't see him anything to do with this movie, but do either of you see him in the Hanks roles, plural, or in something else in this movie? I would see him wanting to do a project like this, being like, you know, the mocap technology, playing everybody. Are you kidding me? Like, that is sure. his, like, you know, egomania. Like, of course he would love to do that. Maybe not a Christmas 
story, but like I, I don't know. Like I, I think I think I could see it. You know, I also it, can't see him in a kids movie. I, I, I don't know. I think I could see him doing this some for some reason. I don't know. I think maybe just the the, the allure of the technology and stuff, and you know, I think he could play, pull off every role except for maybe Santa Claus. Like there's just something about Santa Hanks where I'm like, this might be my Santa now. You know, in the Ooh, way really? in the way that like Willem Dafoe's my Jesus from The Last Temptation of Christ, like this might be my Santa. Like just the idea and the image of those of a Hanks and a Santa combined. I'm like, that is like some Brundlefly fusion perfection for me right there. I think my Santa is still Paul F. Tompkins, but you know, that's a <laughs> totally different Santa. Duke, yeah, do you think do you see Cruz in this movie in one or any role? So so I tried to look at all the different characters that Tom Cruise has played and tried to fit in characters for the Hanks uh, specific rules in this. And I kind of had a lot of trouble finding anything. So I ended up just thinking it would be funny if Tom Cruise as like his character from Tropic Thunder was like the elf that caught them in the workshop. Like, okay. What the fuck are you kids doing in here? You little piece of shit. You can't look at your fucking presence. Get out of here. It was a little weird that, like, a lot of the elves were from, you know, like, New York and stuff, or, like, Philly. They're like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Also, I think that the Les Grossman role also matches the conductor in that they are both bald, except the one is hiding it with a hat and one is not hiding it at all. So maybe, you know, not that he could play the conductor, but he's played that hairstyle before, so... Worth pointing out. I was thinking, like maybe like maybe like a know-it-all, like or like a really smart guy, like um, like his character in Collateral, like Vincent, if that was the conductor. Oh God, that would be terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Okay, I think the answer is yes because for every reason why Mike and I were not able to connect with this movie. But does this movie continue Tom Hanks's trajectory as America's Dad? One hundred percent. Absolutely. It's almost more of a yes than any other thing that we've done so far. This feels so calculated to be like, I'm going to be in a Christmas movie that is going to be designed to be watched every year, you know, or or like to, you know, or is like designed to be enduring and all this kind of stuff. Right. Like, it's almost like they threw this into a computer and it spit this out, not just because of the way it looks like it looks like it was made with a computer because it was. But, you know, like, you know, movie bot seems to have like made this movie is like part of why I feel like it, it works. Yeah. Every character he plays in it except for I mean I mean I guess the hobo plays the the little Scrooge puppet, but like, you know, the cool, like mysterious dad that's, you know, gonna help you out even if you fall off the train or, you know, the conductor that's supposed to get you to wherever you need to be, the solid like kind of dad thing. Or Santa Claus, you know? Probably just an immense father figure to most. And of course actually playing a dad, you know, like, oh the bell doesn't work. Sorry about that sport. Did you get any other presents on like he plays, you know, like a fatherly figure in every single character that is in this movie. There was one moment that it's such a small moment, but it, it hit me so hard as like, wow, America's dad's shining through. And it's at the end when we'll just say like the annoying kid or whatever, like the troublemaker, um, he wants the first gift from Santa and like Santa kind of scolds him and like puts him in his place. And then like Hank's just like takes the kid and like puts his hand on his shoulder and like, kind of is like, it's all right, man. Like, don't worry about it. People still love you. Even if Santa thinks you're a real shit. Like, <laughs> I was like, that little move, though, was so supportive. It was crazy. <laughs> okay, time for the Tom Hanks Awards, the Woodies. Best film, worst film. Again, don't think it's either. I think it's, again, right down the middle. Best of the worst, most fun, bad film. No. Best Hanks role? Santa? I mean, multiple roles? Mocap Hanks? I'll say Santa... 
plus eight others. I really wish the marionette was a separate character, because then we would have had, like, a Woody sort of thing going on, like a dark Woody almost, you know, because Woody, isn't Woody, oh, on the show he's a marionette, but in in the movie I guess he's just like a doll, but I don't know, I was thinking, like, dark Woody. Do you think at some point during maybe the pre-production of this they tried to figure out some way that Disney would let them use or Pixar would let them use a Woody doll in this scene? It's funny you say that, Duke, because there's a shot in this of Pinocchio with a broken nose, right? And if I'm not mistaken, Pinocchio was the first full feature-length animated film. And I was wondering if that was like Zemeckis Easter egg saying, like, this is a modern animated film, the first of its kind. You know, it's like Pinocchio's the past, like, this is the future. I like that. Best ensemble? No, because, I mean, basically the ensemble is Hank's. (laughs) So that definitely is Best Ensemble, since it's all Hanks. Best Fight? No. Best Dance Scene? No. If only he joined into that hot chocolate dance, you know? (laughs) Best Party Scene? No. Best Hanks Outfit Wardrobe? No. Best Death? No. I guess we can't nominate mocap suit, right? Because we don't see it, but like, yeah. No. Best Line or Best Freak Out? No. Now, best soundtrack theme score. Do you want to nominate the Alan Silvestri score here? I mean, I like it. It really invokes like Christmas and Christmassy and all that kind okay. of stuff. It almost feels like it almost feel, and it, I mean this in like a positive way. It almost felt like an amalgam of like Christmas like themes and things. Like, it almost felt like I heard a bit of like Home Alone in there for a minute. I was like, oh, I wonder if he's like trying to hit certain registers and like keys and themes and things from other famous movies and just sort of like intertwine them into this or something i don't know but like i liked it okay we'll put it there best or worst hanks love story no none to speak of and then best non-hanks actor male or female no there aren't really any so two nominees best character role santa and eight others and best soundtrack theme score so okay all right cool Well, Mike, today, as this comes out, also today is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Now that we're both podcasts are weekly, we got two right now. Polar Express and Rogue Nation next week on this very show. Oh boy. We are beginning Literary Hanks, and we've got the first Dan Brown, which is actually the second Dan Brown. We've got Da Vinci Code. Yeesh. God help you. Two and a half hours, so I hope we enjoy the respite of long Hanks movies, because next week we are back on that grind. And also next week, though, Mike, we've got Jack Reacher Never Go Back, so All right. at least, you know, one of two next week. Even, though it's, even if it's not great, it'll be, you know... It'll balance it out. Yes. <laughs> but who boy. Who boy. Still just, you know, eyes on the prize, and the prize is Cloud Atlas. So just keep looking ahead. The true, true. All right, Duke, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anywhere on the internet that if people want to find more of you, they can find more of you? Or if not, that's fine too. If you're interested in seeing cute cat pictures and now cute baby pictures, you can find me on Instagram at DannyDukes25. Very, very cool. And tell your wife thank you for the uh, expert opinion via vis-a-vis you, but also we don't get it, you know, but, uh, you know, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy, and Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Indeed. For all things Hanks for the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Like I said, come back next week for The Da Vinci Code and for Rogue Nation over on the Cruise Club feed. Check out all 27 shows at cageclub.me, wherever you get podcasts, and just you know, send us a note and say hi. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Dan the Duke Hayden. We'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. Well, you're coming? It's magic carpet on a rail. Never, Never takes a
Wait, it's happened on the pole.